0: This morning our scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, And called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher an apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is God's Word.
1: Good morning. Well, as we turn to God's Word now, would you pray with me? Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you have ever been ashamed to be associated with someone or some institution. All you need to do is Google Penn State and scandal, or perhaps the word abuse, to find many magazine articles, blogs, uh, newspaper clippings of Penn State alumni who are now saying outwardly in public, I'm ashamed to be associated with everything that went on at Penn State and the terrible cover-up that happened there. We can be ashamed of a particular product or a performance I remember several times during my years playing basketball at Wheaton College coming into the locker room after a game when we knew we had not performed up to our potential and feeling ashamed of the product that we had put on the court. And our coach agreed with us in those instances and reminded us of that fact. Well, if you're anything like me, you've also been ashamed of yourself at one time or another. We've all said something silly Or foolish or we've done something embarrassing. It was William Faulkner, one of my favorite writers to study during my undergraduate years, who once wrote, unless you're ashamed of yourself now and then, you're just not being honest. Well, why am I starting this way? Why am I giving these examples about being ashamed? Well, it's because our passage this morning gives us something of which We must never be ashamed. You see, those things I mentioned, it's probably right to be ashamed of some of those things. But this passage this morning is making a very important point to us as followers of Jesus Christ. It's this. Those who truly believe the gospel are not, must not, be ashamed of it. It's this word, ashamed, that is central in Paul's mind as he writes this part of the letter to young Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus. Just look with me for a moment at where this word, ashamed, shows up in our passage. First look at verse 8. Paul begins in this way, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Then look down to verse 12. Paul says this is why I suffer as I do but I am not ashamed. And then in verse 16 as Paul's giving this example of this wonderful man Onesiphorus whom we'll discuss later he says this he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So first to Timothy a call to not be ashamed then Paul saying I'm not ashamed. And then finally, Onesiphorus, this positive example, he was not ashamed. So certainly Paul has this word in his mind, and it's central as he writes this part of the letter. Now I want to take a moment and show you too that there is a link between the way Paul talks about the gospel and his imprisonment or his suffering for the gospel. Look back again to verse 8. Paul starts The passage this way, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, in other words, the word of the gospel, nor of me, his prisoner. So, the message of the gospel, the testimony, also Paul as a prisoner on behalf of the gospel, linked together. It happens again in verses 11 to 12. Paul says in verse 11, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher for the gospel, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. In other words, my suffering is because of my calling as a gospel minister. And then, by the time Paul gets to 16, he can actually say, that Onesiphorus refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, and he doesn't even need to mention the gospel explicitly because those two concepts, his chains, his imprisonment, his suffering, and the gospel message itself have become so inextricably linked. So when Paul talks about the gospel, he is also talking about his apostolic role to proclaim the gospel and the imprisonment that accompanies it to be ashamed of him, in other words, in Paul's mind, is actually to be ashamed of the gospel message for which he is suffering. And in our passage, we'll see, especially in verse 16, he can use those terms, imprisonment, suffering, chains, almost interchangeably with the gospel or the word or the testimony about Jesus Christ. So Paul's point is clear. Timothy Do not be ashamed of this wonderful gospel or of my imprisonment, which is on behalf of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of it. Now, I think as we sit here this morning in this congregation, we believe that. I think as we hear this call, do not be ashamed of the gospel, we say, yes, I agree with that. I shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. But I also think that we don't always practice that. We don't always practice standing unashamed of the message of Jesus Christ. And so, just for a moment, I want to use a few other words to describe this word ashamed. We tend to be embarrassed by the gospel, we tend to keep quiet about the message of the gospel with people in our lives. Or perhaps we tend to keep it to ourselves. We see it as a personal, private thing between us and God, not something that's meant to be proclaimed in an unashamed way. Or maybe in the public sphere, we don't want to associate ourselves too openly with it. Have you been there? Some of you have been there this week. I've been there. Now, others of you are sitting here and you're already feeling guilt this morning because you know you're thinking about ways even this past week you've perhaps been ashamed or embarrassed or you've kept quiet about the message of the gospel and you know you had a great opportunity to speak the words of life and truth about Jesus into someone's life and you didn't quite get there. Well, I want to offer to you a word of hope even as we begin to dig into this passage together. And it's actually a word about another apostle, not Paul, but Peter. Because if there's anyone who in Scripture was ashamed of Jesus at the most important critical moment, it was Peter who on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion when he was being betrayed three times denied any association with him whatsoever. Peter was there. He's been there. And yet we see Peter being reinstated by Jesus. We see him as a bold proclaimer of the gospel, a pillar of the early church. And we see in Peter hope for us that if we have been ashamed of the gospel, there is hope that we can yet stand unashamed for the sake of Jesus Christ. So I want to begin by asking this question as we dig into this text together. Why might we be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? What are some reasons that we might be tempted to be ashamed? And I'll offer five, and I think what Paul does in this text is give us five ways that we can then stand unashamed of the gospel in response to these. So why might we be tempted to be ashamed? Number one, we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because we don't fully understand it. In other words, we may have an idea of what the gospel is in our minds that's actually not the biblical gospel. We may think of it, for example, as a legalistic, prudish, religious system or set of rules, and if that's all the gospel is, it may be something to be ashamed of. That's not what Paul tells us the gospel is. So we may have a a false idea of what the gospel is in our minds that could cause us to be ashamed of it. Number two, we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because we don't want to suffer for it. Now, that may not even mean intense persecution and death and and imprisonment like it did for Paul, but it may mean that we don't want to suffer the discomfort relationally, uh, socially, that can come from a close association with Jesus and the message of the gospel. Number three, we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because we don't trust the God who stands behind it. In other words, we think of the gospel as only a set of truths to affirm rather than the message of a personal God who makes himself known to sinners. Number four, we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because we haven't guarded it diligently. We haven't guarded its purity. We've allowed it to be watered down. And then number five, finally, we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because we don't learn from the examples. Of others around us, both those who have stood unashamed of the gospel and those who have stood ashamed of it, like Peter. We don't learn from the examples of others. So, really, we'll then seek to answer this one question this morning from this text. And here's the question How do we, as God's people today, college church, how do we stand unashamed of the gospel? That's our question this morning, and I think Paul answers this in five ways, and I'll list these now. This will be our roadmap for making our way through this text, so if you're taking notes, this is for you. How do we stand unashamed of the gospel? First, we understand it. Second, we prepare to suffer for it. Third, we remember the God who stands behind it. Fourth, we guard it. And fifth, we learn from the examples of others. That's how Paul tells us to prepare to stand unashamed for the gospel. So first, how do we stand unashamed of the gospel? First, we understand it. Now, I want you to look with me at the structure for a moment of verses 8 to 12. Verses 8 to 12, look at how Paul begins. He begins with two words, two imperatives to Timothy. He says, verse 8... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering. So, do not be ashamed, share in suffering. Now, look down to verse 12, and you'll see these two same elements picked up in the life of Paul. Verse 12, Paul says, This is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. So, Timothy, don't be ashamed, share in suffering. And then Paul saying, I suffer, I am not ashamed. Paul has continued the same conversation, the same line of thought and reasoning that he started in verse 8 in verse 12. And so the question is, what happens in the middle? What happens from verse 9 to 11? Well, I think what Paul does there is give us a full explanation of the substance of the glorious gospel of which Timothy is not to be ashamed. That's what he does in verses 9 to 10. In fact, this explanation of the gospel, the substance of the gospel is actually linked bookended by the word gospel. Look at verse 8. He says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then down at the end of verse 10, that Jesus has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So bookended by the word gospel, an explanation of the substance of the gospel. Paul wants Timothy to get clear on what the gospel is as he commands him to stand unashamed of it. Some scholars think that this may actually be an ancient hymn that the churches associated with Paul might have sung, verses 9 and 10, a hymn celebrating the glorious gospel. So before we challenge ourselves to stand unashamed of this gospel, we need to understand it correctly. So look with me at what Paul says we know from the gospel. What does the gospel tell us from verses 9 and 10? The gospel tells us first that God saved us. The gospel tells us that God called us to a holy calling. The gospel tells us that we're saved not because of our works, but because of God's own purpose and grace. The Bible tells us that God gave this grace to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The gospel tells us that Jesus has now appeared. He is the one who makes manifest this gospel saving plan of God. The gospel tells us that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, abolished death forever for those who will trust him. The gospel tells us that Jesus brought life and immortality to light. That is, he made it evident for all who will trust and believe in him. This is the substance of the gospel. Paul's words in verses 9 and 10, that there's salvation by grace through faith. That death is abolished forever through Jesus' work on the cross and then rising again from the grave. That there's life everlasting in the risen and reigning Christ. Death for sin, resurrection from the dead, eternal life for all who will not trust their own works but trust the grace of God in Christ on their behalf. That's the gospel. That's what Paul wants Timothy to get right as he asks him to stand unashamed of it. So as we begin this morning, let me ask you, do you understand that gospel today? Maybe you've been ashamed even this past week because you haven't fully grasped the wonderful good news, the eternal salvation offered to sinners by the holy God through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. If that's the case, understand it clearly and fully today. Believe it. Follow this Jesus Not another Jesus, not another gospel, this one. So number one, how do we stand unashamed of the gospel? First of all, we understand it. But secondly, we prepare to suffer for it. This shows up at a couple points which we've already identified. First of all, verse 8 Paul's first command to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then Paul links his call as a gospel preacher and apostle and teacher to suffering. He says, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, verse 11, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. In other words, gospel proclamation, standing unashamed of the gospel, will mean suffering. Suffering. Those are linked. If we want to stand unashamed of the gospel, we have to get ready to suffer for it. That's what Paul says to this young pastor. I think that we tend to be ashamed of the gospel. We tend to keep quiet about it. We tend to not proclaim it boldly to others because we don't want to suffer. And sometimes it's not even real intense suffering. It's simply the suffering of being socially awkward or having people think we're weird or being ostracized because of our identification with Christ, the message of the exclusive salvation that's found through him? I want to read you a quotation from a man named Penn Gillette, who's an atheist, who hates God, who hates the gospel, doesn't believe the Bible. And I want you to hear his words in response to Christians who don't share the gospel boldly, because of the fear of being socially awkward or relational social tension. Again, a man who does not believe the Bible, hates the gospel, and hates Jesus. Here are his words. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So the words of an atheist speaking to Christians who stand ashamed to share, proclaim the eternal message of the gospel, salvation that's available for sinners through God's Son. Are we willing to suffer for the gospel even in small ways? How do we stand unashamed of the gospel? Third, we remember the God who stands behind it. Look with me at verse 12. This was a verse that jumped off the page at me this week as I was studying this passage. Paul is explaining why he is not ashamed. So he says, I suffer as I do, verse 12. And then the next phrase, I am not ashamed for I know what I have believed. Is that what he says? I know what. Whom I have believed. The gospel for Paul is not just a set of truths to affirm, although it certainly is that. It's certainly truth. But the gospel is about a person, a personal God who reveals himself to people through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul, in other words, knows the personal God who stands behind the gospel message and is confident that this God will guard him to the end. Sometimes we stand ashamed of the gospel because we forget that it is not just a set of truths. It is the personal God revealing the good news of salvation through His Son, that God is the gospel. So Paul would say to us here today that being ashamed of the gospel is being ashamed of Jesus Christ himself. And actually, Jesus says this very same thing as well. Turn to Luke 9 with me, will you? Luke nine twenty six. Jesus calls followers of him to deny themselves, to take up their crosses daily and follow him. And then he says this Luke 9:26 For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels Being ashamed of the gospel is being ashamed of the God who stands behind the gospel well, how do we stand unashamed of the gospel? Fourth, we guard it. We guard it. Look with me at 13 to 14. Paul says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So two imperatives that Paul gives to Timothy, follow And guard, what is Timothy to follow? He's to follow the sound words that he's heard from Paul. What is he to guard? He's to guard the good deposit. Both ways of describing the word of the gospel that's been passed on to Timothy. The good deposit, the sound words. Paul is saying that if this gospel is so important, so important that we must not be ever ashamed of it, then we must guard the truth and the purity of it. The gospel message must be guarded by me, by you, by Christ church. Now, it's interesting that this passage, with its overarching theme of do not be ashamed, in other words, proclaim it boldly, also has this, pa- this call here from Paul to Timothy to guard it. In other words, to keep it safe, there's almost a sense that is, Is Paul telling him to keep it secret, to keep it tucked away in a safe place? One of our college students this past week in Bible study brought this out. Our do not be ashamed and the call to guard it somehow contradictory. Well, not in Paul's mind. To guard it, to guard the good deposit of the gospel, must not mean keeping it secret. Because he calls Timothy to proclaim it boldly. It must be that one way that we guard the good deposit of the gospel is to rightly proclaim it in all of its purity and all of its truth and all of its fullness, keeping the message clearly in line with God's Word. We guard it, in other words, we keep it safe, we protect it by faithfully proclaiming it, by standing unashamed of it. We fail to do this so often because we don't understand the importance of right belief. That doctrine, that theology, does matter. That holding on to the truth of the gospel really affects the way we live our life. That watering down the gospel, that messing with the substance of the gospel will have real life effects. And that's exactly what Paul wants to say in the final verses of our passage today. Number five, how do we stand unashamed of the gospel? We learn from the real life examples of others. That's what Paul is doing in these final verses of this section. He's giving examples to Timothy of how being ashamed and not ashamed of the gospel play out in real life in relation to his gospel ministry, which we already know is linked with the gospel itself. So Paul says, first, look at what happened in Asia. Everyone deserted him. He says, look with me at verses 15, verse 15 and uh, just verse 15. He says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Figalas and Hermogenes. So particularly, Paul calls out these two men who were evidently exemplary in their abandonment of Paul and the gospel. You know, my grandfather always said that no one's life is truly wasted. You can always be a bad example to someone. (laughs) And that's what these men are. They are bad examples that Paul puts out for Timothy of men who, in the midst of Paul's persecution, in the midst of his arrest for the gospel, were ashamed of him and therefore of the gospel message itself. He says, look at those guys. Learn from their example. Then he says, Timothy, look at this other man. Look at Onesiphorus. 16 to 18. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul says, this man was not ashamed of my chains. He was not ashamed of this tangible physical sign of the gospel for which I was enchained. Nothing else is known about this man. Although this is a great three-verse legacy to have in the Bible, isn't it? Many people think that at this point, when Paul wrote this letter, Onesiphorus was dead. In verse uh, four, chapter 4, verse 19, if you'll just turn there, you'll see that Paul greets these two people, Prissa and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus, seeming to differentiate from perhaps two living people and one person who has now died. There's this wonderful play on words to in verse 18, as Paul is talking about Onesiphorus' service to him, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me at the end of verse 17. He breaks forth in this exclamation, playing on that word found. May the Lord grant him to find, same Greek word, mercy from the Lord on that day. In other words, Paul immediately thinks of the eternal reward the eternal mercy from God that's linked to Onesiphorus standing unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministry of this gospel servant, Paul. So Paul has asked Timothy to stand unashamed of the gospel, and now at the end of this section he gives him real-life examples of what this looks like and what it doesn't look like. Well, we need to move toward the end of our time in God's Word today. So I want to offer two final questions to us and one last encouragement. Two questions and then a final encouragement. First question, how are you tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? How are you tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? Maybe it is that you simply keep quiet about it. You're tempted to make it a personal private matter between you and God and it certainly is at some level. We're justified as we personally repent and put our faith in the finished work of Christ and yet the gospel message is not something to keep quiet about. It's not something to keep to ourselves. It's something to be proclaimed. Maybe it's that we don't want to associate ourselves too publicly, too openly with Jesus with the message of the gospel in today's culture. Whatever it is, identify it today. Do some self-diagnosis. Talk to God about it. Talk to a trusted friend about it. Question number two, how can we prepare to stand unashamed of the gospel? We've identified where we may be, where we may be tempted to be ashamed. How can we prepare to stand unashamed? First, we need to understand the gospel clearly Go back to verses 9 and 10. Read that this week. Paul's explanation of the substance of the gospel. Do you understand it? Do you understand the eternal glorious nature of what God in Christ has done? Second, we need to get ready to suffer for it. We need to be willing to embrace the discomfort that may come from association with Jesus Christ, who himself suffered. Number three, we need to trust the personal God who stands behind the gospel message. Not just a set of truths, not just another religious creed, a personal God who has come near in his own son and given us that word of good news. Number four, we can guard it. We can follow the pattern of the sound words. We can hold fast to the good deposit that's been given to us in the word of the gospel. And number five, we can learn from the examples around us. We can learn from Onesiphorus and the bad examples of these two guys in Asia. And we can learn from the good examples here, people who I've watched as I've grown up here at this church, people who've lived out the gospel in Wheaton and in Chicago in their business and around the world as missionaries. We can learn from the examples of people who have stood unashamed of Jesus Christ. Well, one word of encouragement as we go then, and I do hope this encourages us as we seek to stand unashamed of the gospel. Here's the final word. We serve a Savior who is not ashamed of us. Let me say that one more time. To you, Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ through repentance and faith, let me say this to you. God is not ashamed of you. Because of the cross, those who are in Christ are clothed with the dazzling righteousness of Christ. That's how God looks at you. Not ashamed of you. In fact, he calls you his child. That's the good news of what happens through the gospel. God, the infinitely holy creator, is not ashamed of us. Turn with me to one final place as we close. Hebrews chapter 2. I want to just read these verses to you, starting in verse 9. Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist me. Isn't that wonderful? That in Christ, by faith, we are called children of God, and that is what we are. That Jesus is not ashamed to associate himself with sinners who will repent of their sins, trust him, and follow him forever. Well, here is a Savior, friends of whom we must never be ashamed. Let's pray. And so, Heavenly Father, when we look to the cross as the place where your beloved Son bore our shame and bore our punishment and died in our place, We want to ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to boldly and without shame proclaim the good news of him to this world. Would you empower us? Would you give us courage? Would you strengthen us and would you fill us with love as we do this? In his name, amen.